Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. This is your girl, Lisa Schlossberg, and this is the podcast where we will be unpacking and exploring our relationship to food, eating, body image, our weight, all through a mind-body perspective. Today, I want to kind of pick up where we left off after the first episode and continue telling you my personal story and my thought is that in telling you the rest of my story it will start to make sense where this podcast is going and also what you can actually get out of it what does this mean for you the listener the people in your life your friends your family your children maybe how do how does my story of coming out of the cave help you move forward in your own health and healing? That's my intention for today. So in the first episode, I was telling you about my weight loss. And for a good period of time, I thought that that would be the end of the story. I thought it was a very simple, not always easy, but it was a very simple process. And I expected it to be a very simple story start to finish. I thought I was going to lose a lot of weight and just get on with my life. I thought everything would stay basically the same. I just would be in a smaller, more comfortable body that was a little bit more agile. And I just thought that was going to be the end of it. But so what I want to tell you today is what happened next. I think culturally we have somewhat of an obsession with this extreme and rapid weight loss. And that's always where the story ends, right? Like it's before and after and then, and then what? And we don't really hear very much about what happens next. But in my experience, that's where it gets interesting or it got interesting for me anyway. So after I lost 150 pounds and I started to do some research, um, explore John Gabriel and the Gabriel method, and really treat myself holistically. I was in an interesting place where for a while, I think it's important to clarify this, that for a while, when I was trying to stabilize mentally and emotionally and physically, um, I was on the phone with a nutritionist once a week, and I was on the phone with a therapist once a week making sure that I was eating enough physically and also coping and staying functional and okay um, mentally to get through my life. And so I, I think that's important because I didn't move through all of this alone. I didn't get myself out of where I was alone. I did have the help, the privilege of having the help of mental health professionals and physical health professionals and um, and that's what got me through it for a while. And so after that point of exploring these mind-body techniques, um, doing things like meditation and thinking about stress relief and not weighing myself anymore, after that period of time, I got to a point where the weight stabilization was happening fairly effortlessly. Um, So just to give you a little bit of context around what that looked like, my senior year of college, I had a scale in the house that I lived in with my friends, but I asked them to hide it from me. I was trying really hard to not diet anymore, not track what I was eating, and definitely not put myself on a scale. And so that's kind of how I stabilized physically and I'll say more about all of this and get into details of my story later but just as a general kind of overview I did have that help and support from professionals I also had that help and support from my friends Um, and that's kind of how I started stabilizing physically and just exploring what it was like to live in this body in in a very new size and in a very different way than I ever had Um, So that's where I was during my senior year of college after I had come back from semester at sea. I was figuring out food freedom fairly well. I was eating a little bit more. I was exercising a little bit less. And I was really releasing the control over, over my weight and my body and food. I was 
um, just being more spontaneous and flexible and lenient. And like I said, I was not tracking, measuring, portioning, weighing anything. And so toward, toward senior year of college, I was feeling pretty good about, about my weight. I had lost the weight. I was no longer dieting. I wasn't gaining the weight back. And it felt like things were really figuring themselves out. But there was one issue. There was like one remaining problem. The same way that I kind of felt my whole life that everything would be perfect and all my problems would be solved if I lost weight because everything else was going well and everything else was good. It was kind of like that. It was like the weight now was stabilizing. My mental health was feeling better. I felt connected to my friends. All of that was going really well. There was just this one lingering issue. And that lingering issue was what would later become diagnosed as IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And the way that this happened for me was when I went on semester at sea, my second half of my junior year of college, um, it was it was almost like a rite of passage that most people on the ship at some point had some sort of stomach issue or some sort of um, diarrhea or constipation or something like that. It was just part of the trip. And so we all, I think a lot of us walked around with Pepto-Bismol just like in our pockets at all time during the semester. But I think when most people came back from semester at sea, um, their digestion went back to normal and they were okay. And that didn't happen for me. When I came back from semester at sea, I, I was really, really struggling with what I, I, I didn't know what, frankly. Um, and it was very different than the way that I grew up because the way that I grew up around food mentally and emotionally, was completely disconnected. I did not know what I was eating, how much I was eating, when I was eating, any of those things. I was paying no attention. But physically, my relationship with food was also pretty mindless because it could be. I could eat anything. Nothing ever bothered me. Nothing created stomach aches. I didn't have sensitivities or allergies or anything like that. And so it was very unfamiliar for me to now be paying attention to basically everything I put in my mouth because I was struggling with either pain or discomfort in my body in terms of my digestion in a way that I had never, ever, ever had. And so when I came back from semester at sea, I tried all kinds of doctors. I tried a bunch of different medications. I had many different procedures done. I was looking for answers and I was looking for help. And every single thing came back normal every time. None of the doctors I worked with could find anything that could indicate even why I was having the symptoms I was having. And nothing was wrong. They just couldn't find anything. And then at one point, um, one of the doctors, after doing you know tests for different parasites, etc., asked if I had ever been sick in all of my travels. Was I sick? And I mentioned to them that actually when I was in Africa, it was around the time that I was in Ghana for semester at sea, I was actually quarantined in my cabin on the ship with a diagnosis of diarrhea. And that for about 48 hours, I was actually very, very ill. And, and then it went away. And after a couple days, I was back on the ship. I was back traveling. And that was the end of that. But after I shared that with the doctors I was seeing, the final conclusion, after all the other tests came back normal, was that I had been diagnosed with post-infectious IBS. And their best theory was that I got sick when I was abroad and I just never recovered. And there was probably something still hanging out in my system that they couldn't identify or locate, but that was the theory that we were going with. And that was extremely disappointing, to say the absolute least. It was months and months and months, what became years of trying to solve this problem. But when I heard a diagnosis of IBS, my, my reaction to that was, you're telling me that I have 
an irritable bowel. Like that's the diagnosis. But I came in here with a complaint of an irritable bowel. Like that doesn't tell me anything I don't already know. So that's not extremely helpful. And so what I did with that information was kind of retreat back to my primary coping mechanism of defense and denial. And that's that was my relationship with my IBS and all of the symptoms was it's not that bad. It'll take care of itself. This isn't a problem. I don't need to worry about this. I don't need to deal with it. And I just completely disconnected from it the same way that I grew up in relationship to my body, which was kind of like it just didn't exist. And if it existed, I didn't need to think about it or worry about it or feel anything about it. That's the way that I came into a relationship with my IBS. It was, well, if no one can solve this problem for me and if the doctors aren't going to help and there are no answers, well, then I don't need to stay present with this. There's nothing I can do. And so I just kind of shut off from it. And the truth is that it was really, really making me very miserable. I was really sad and I was really scared. And that's what I remember about my senior year of college was that now, instead of weight loss being the big thing on my mind and taking up a lot of the kind of emotional energy, now I was fighting this battle against IBS in a way that was so unfamiliar to me. But it also was a really interesting time because on one hand, while I was really struggling on a daily basis, like hour by hour basis, trying to figure out what to eat, what not to eat, what's going to upset my stomach, can I go to class, should I study in the library, I, I felt like I had to be next to a bathroom at all times and I, it was getting in the way of every part of my life, my entire social life, I had a hard time going out, not just to eat, but drinking alcohol or any anything, everything became hard and complicated all over again, but I, on the other hand, was in this really um, exciting place where I felt so high from the success and achievement of my weight loss that it kind of allowed me to ignore everything else because I was experiencing for the first time in my life, I could now walk without my back hurting or my feet hurting. I could now even run and then I could run more than a mile at a time. I was able to buy clothes at the mall with my friends. I could finally wear hair ties without them cutting off my circulation. And I had just bought my first bikini. And so I was in this place of one dopamine hit after another, basically. And I felt like my body, again, for the first time ever in my life, wasn't limiting my life anymore. I could move, I could breathe, I could walk, and I felt like I was really living. And so I finally, you know, fit into the world around me, and it felt so good. It just fitting, fitting into the world around me felt like a drug, and it was a drug that I was taking consciously and not consciously every few minutes, if not every few seconds. And so my IBS, the way that I was in relationship with it was my IBS is not going to steal this from me. Just because I have some stomach pain and discomfort doesn't mean that I don't get to celebrate this and be present with this and have some fun with this. And so I just, I was living, and I think you could probably identify it when you're hearing this, that is, I was living really in my head connected to that success and accomplishment and weight loss and I was very disconnected from my physical body which was not that I knew this at the time but my body was really speaking to me through these symptoms of IBS that I was just really um, dedicated to ignoring and disconnecting from because they were so painful and they were so uncomfortable and that is kind of how my senior year of college wrapped up was I was in this place of my weight was stabilizing. I was feeling a little bit more stable mentally and emotionally around food and eating. I wasn't getting on the scale, but I was still struggling with IBS and having all of these uh, chronic pain symptoms that I was struggling with. And so that was the end of the year. I graduated from the University of Michigan 
was still totally confused about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and how I was going to use my degree and all of those things. And so at the time I felt I, I knew that I really loved fitness and health and working out because that was a huge part of my life at the time. And I also knew that I really loved helping people and that I wanted to work with other people one-on-one if I could. But I had no idea what that meant. Um, And so I eventually decided toward the end of senior year that I was going to become a certified personal trainer. And when I moved home after college back to New York, I got a job at a local gym working behind the desk and then eventually personal training on the floor. And so at the time, I was be- I was working at the gym as a trainer. I was no longer dieting, or if I was, I was really, really trying not to. I was focusing on my mental and emotional health. I was really paying attention to stress reduction. And like I said in the first podcast, I was really shocked and amazed that my weight was stabilizing and that I was actually experiencing this kind of effortless experience around food and eating in my body. And that was one word (laughs) that I had heard John Gabriel talk about a lot when he was explaining the Gabriel method. He would talk about effortless weight loss and effortless weight maintenance. And for such a long time, it felt like there's no way, (laughs) there's no way, there's no such thing as effortless weight loss, effortless weight maintenance. There can't possibly be. But then I started using myself as the experiment and really started exploring what that meant like for myself. And I was finding that actually what he was talking about was really true. It was really possible. And I was really experiencing it in real time. And so it became clear to me that actually, despite all of the statistics and logistics that I had read about, it was possible to lose 150 pounds and then not diet for the rest of my life. That's what I was finding was actually true. And what my body and my reality was showing me was that you can lose an extreme amount of weight and you can even do it in an unhealthy way, like extreme diet and exercise. And then you can restore your body so much that you don't have to live on a diet anymore. And that's what I knew was absolutely true, again, because I was experiencing it. I didn't believe it when I saw it on paper, and I didn't believe it when John Gabriel was saying it, but I believed it when I put myself through it, and I knew that that's what was happening for me. And so I was learning that there was something very true and very powerful about this mind-body-soul approach. And that when we stop looking at and treating ourselves as just a physical body and we understand and expand our understanding of ourselves as multidimensional human beings, so (laughs) multidimensional meaning mental, emotional, spiritual, social, environmental, there are all these different parts to us. And, and so I was really seeing that we're on to something here and my own experience of losing that weight and keeping it off. And now in an effortless way, mentally, emotionally, now I was really on to something that I really wanted to figure out. And again, just to give you context around what that looked like in my life, I had at the same time that I was personal training at the gym, I got a job at GNC, the General Nutrition Center. And after about six months or so, I ended up leaving that job because I was in this place where I was realizing I couldn't work at a place like GNC and sell diet pills to people that I knew were emotionally eating. I knew that the physical dimensions the or the physical interventions on the physical dimension, so the food, the eating, the exercise, the pills, None of that was going to solve the problem of people walking into GNC saying, I'm really stressed out and emotional and food and eating is my only coping mechanism. And so it was just becoming, again, extremely clear to me what I was, what I was seeing and hearing and what we were collectively working with. And so at that point, I, during that year, I got an email from John Gabriel that John is doing a retreat in New York at the Omega Institute upstate. 
And at the time, this was incredible information because I knew that John lived on the other side of the world in Australia at the time, and I was in New York. And so at the time, I had read his books, I was getting his emails, I was following him religiously, it felt like, and it was amazing to me that he was coming to New York. So I felt like I had to find a way there. I could not let this happen and not be there. And so I went to the retreat myself, and on one hand, I felt like I knew I was in the right place. I knew that I was meeting and connecting with the right people. And at the same time, I also felt very uncomfortable and very out of place because any of you who've been to the Omega Institute know that it is a not only beautiful and gorgeous and life-changing environment, but it is, it's a very spiritual place. And at the time, I felt like I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body, and I felt um, really disconnected from that part of the environment and the retreat. And I'm sharing this with you because I want you to also understand the context of where I was at the time. I felt like I knew that John was onto something. I knew that the Gabriel Method really was the reason that I had kept my weight off, but when I showed up there, I have this memory of Heather, Heather the nutritionist who worked with John, or who works with John, and Heather was on stage, and I remember her doing this activity with everyone in the room where she was asking us to check in with our intuition and check into our body and really feel into what is our body saying and what is our body communicating to us? What does our body really want? And she had us place one hand on our belly and one hand on our heart and ask our body questions like, does it want sweet or savory? Does it want hot or cold? And the intention was to help everyone in the audience just connect to their intuition and to what we're calling intuitive eating, right? Just having some of that guidance come from the body rather than the brain and the reason I'm telling you this story is because at that point in my life, not only was I around half the age of everyone else at the retreat, but I was sitting in the audience, like cracking my eyes open during these activities, looking around at the room and just saying, what in the world is going on here? How does anyone have any idea what their body is saying? How is their body talking to them? How do people know if they put their hand on their body what it wants. I have no idea what's going on here. I will never get this. I will never understand this. I'm so out of place. I'm so out of place. And so that's why I share that because on one hand, I felt like I knew that this was right and I was being pulled toward it. But on the other hand, I felt like these, this is not anything that I'm familiar with and it didn't feel comfortable at all. And so at that time, I felt even more than I felt uncomfortable and out of place, I knew, I knew that I would not be where I was having the experience I was having with my weight and body had it not been for John and all of his work. And so I was, <laughs> I was actually so starstruck when I first met John that I could not even have a conversation with him. <laughs> but later in the week, I wrote him a letter and I basically said, how do I contribute? to you and your work? How do I become part of your team? How do I, how do I work for you? How do I, how, what can I do to contribute to you and your message and your work? Because I know that this is the true, real stuff. And if I did not stumble upon this work and really open myself up to it, I would be over 300 pounds again. And that's very important. And so one thing led to another. And by the next summer, I went back to John's Omega retreat again and now I was sharing my story on stage as a success story and I was sharing from this perspective of we all know how to lose weight we don't need to keep asking that question and we don't need to keep exploring weight loss we all know how to do that and I'm sure if you're listening to this you've probably done it but we need to have a conversation about losing weight and keeping it off we need to be talking about how do you do something 
but in a way that is healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally? And how do you do it in a way that's going to be sustainable? So you're not just thinking about getting the weight off. You're thinking about the rest of your entire life, which is to say you're thinking realistically about the fact that you have to live in your body for the rest of your life. And that's, and so that's where I was kind of sharing from was the only reason that I was a success story for the Gabriel method was not because of my weight loss. I didn't lose my weight on the Gabriel method. And I wanted to be very clear about that. But the reason that I was a success story was because 98% of people who lose weight the way that I did gain it back. And I wasn't doing that. And the other people who don't gain it back were still dieting. And I also wasn't doing that. So that's kind of the perspective that I had at the time, which was I was realizing there was something important about what I had experienced because there was something true about it that I knew I was no longer dieting and controlling my body from that place of restriction and fear. I was becoming much more peaceful in my body and much more free in my relationship with food and I wasn't gaining the weight back. And that was a story that needed to be told. And so at the same time, I then started working toward my holistic health coaching certification. I was learning and thinking and being taught about really how to treat myself and my clients more holistically from a mind, body, soul perspective. And that was the whole point was if we are thinking sustainably and holistically, we have to be thinking about the other invisible parts of us, the mental, emotional, everything else. And so for a while, that that was the work I was doing. I was adding this kind of more holistic approach with my personal training clients. And then I went back to Omega again the following year. And so this is now 2018. I went back again. And this, again, is where it got interesting. (laughs) So it's 2018. I'm speaking at the Omega Institute for the Gabriel Method Retreat. And my message at this point is very clear. We can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. In order for us to get what we want physically, stabilizing at a healthy weight, healing our relationship with food, we must non-negotiably consider our mental, emotional, spiritual, and social health. We have to think about things like our stress and our relationships, etc. If what we want is change in that which is external and visible, we necessarily have to consider the parts of us that are internal and invisible, thoughts, feelings, etc. And so while I'm up there on stage sharing these things, I see a woman in the back row who was one of the guest instructors at the retreat that I hadn't really met or connected with yet. But now I see her sitting in the back row and she's giving me like a rock on sign, like a hardcore, yeah, rock on. And this is who I would come to meet, the one and only Nicole Sachs. And Nicole Sachs, I didn't know. I didn't know her work. I didn't know anything about why she was adamantly supporting my message until she got up and did her own presentation the next day or so. And when Nicole got up and started sharing, she talked about her own incredible story of how she healed her own debilitating lower back pain after years of struggling and how she has since helped thousands of people around the entire world heal from all kinds of chronic pain. She listed things like migraines, fibromyalgia, arthritis, shoulder pain, neck pain, back pain, foot pain, all kinds of mysterious illnesses, all kinds of different things that people didn't have answers to or or just kind of stories like my own where people were sent away with a diagnosis of irritable bowel. So there was no real direction or guidance, but just kind of these these diagnoses that didn't help people. And Nicole was sharing all of these incredible testimonials of the people that she's worked with, including the person who was once in a wheelchair and then was running marathons after doing her work. She had healed and helped people all over the world heal these symptoms of chronic pain, all kinds of chronic pain. And it all sounded very interesting to me Because as I was listening to this, it was really echoing much of what I just shared myself on stage. I was saying things like, we can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. 
And what Nicole was saying on stage was the pain is not in your head, but the solution is not in your body. And so it was all of this kind of, we were all coming from this really similar perspective of a mind-body connection and having to look at our body and the symptoms in our body from this holistic perspective. For me, it was weight and our relationship with food, and for her, it was chronic pain. So I was listening to her explain very scientifically, which was also very important to me, (laughs) the way that repressed emotions create physical symptoms of pain and that we have to really get in touch with our emotions if what we want is to be free from our chronic pain symptoms. And I was sitting in the audience now like, yes, 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 all of the yes. I know that this is true. We're saying the exact same thing. This is incredible. Now I understand why she supports my message so much. This is great, great work, great work. And then, and then she got to the slide where she said her work, a psychological journaling exercise could heal IBS. And that is where I wanted to draw the line. I was with her until that point because I, on one hand, when I heard that, I was just immediately full of denial and defense. My thoughts were, this isn't true. This isn't real. This can't work. There's no way. This is not what this is. This is not, this is just not what this is. But on the other hand, I could recognize that that is exactly how I felt about John and the Gabriel method and his approach and not dieting. I thought that there was no way that it was true or real. I thought there was no way that it could work. And so I, I was able to at least observe that I was in a similar ideological battle with this where part of me was saying, well, she's using all the same science you're using and she's saying all the same things you're saying. It's just, it's hard to believe that this could actually work for me. The other part of it that I realize now that I definitely was not aware of at the time was that I was also so in this place with my relationship with myself where I felt like I was just done. I felt like I had lost the weight, I had found a way to maintain it, and so I was finished. Like that was it. All my problems were supposed to be solved after my weight came off. And so I think or I know that part of the reason I was so resistant to even letting Nicole's message land was because I didn't want it to be true. I wanted I wanted to be done. I wanted to believe that story. I wanted to live that story so bad of the weight came off and now that was it. I'm done. I didn't have to pay attention to anything. I didn't have to connect to myself. I didn't have to look inward. I didn't want it to be true. And that's what I know now. But at the time, I'm kind of sitting there listening to her presentation, going back and forth in my own head. Could this be real? I don't really believe this. But I also don't want to limit my own healing because of my own disbelief, similar to the Gabriel method. And so then Nicole said one thing that really got me. And that's when she drew the line between acute pain and chronic pain. Because her point was that when it's acute, so for example, it's something like a headache, we tend to collectively accept that there's a mind-body connection there. We even use the term stress headache, right? So we tend to understand that stress and emotion can play a role in something like a headache in an acute way. And the same can be said for something like a stomach ache. We could say, are, you know, we, we all agree that maybe we are nervous or anxious if we have a stomach ache or something like that. But to Nicole's point, what she was saying is all of a sudden when it becomes chronic, so now when it's not a headache, but it's a migraine, now when it's IBS, it's not a stomach ache, when these are chronic pain symptoms, all of a sudden we throw out the mind-body connection and we no longer look at stress and emotion. And what her point was is the mind-body connection not only is very informative, when we look through the mind-body connection, not only do we find all this information, but that we have to understand this from a mind-body perspective because that is why we're struggling with chronic pain symptoms and we have to start there. And that was something that I just couldn't argue with. That was just the last kind of nail in the coffin for me. Like it was, it was really worth believing because what she was saying really made sense. 
And so she also said that there are a lot of times that pain, chronic pain symptoms will show up in a place that quote unquote makes sense. So the example that she would use is like a retired athlete who maybe injured their knee in high school or college, but it still has that click every once in a while 20 years later. So it makes sense that we form pain in the places that we do from a kind of psychological or spiritual perspective. And the reason I say that is because what Nicole was suggesting we do if we were struggling with chronic pain, but the same was true for weight and a relationship with food, was consider the onset from an emotional perspective. So the same way that I would ask people at the time, if they were saying, I just gained all this weight, my question would be, well, what happened, right? It's not what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. So I would always be curious about not just the onset from a physical lens, so not what were you eating and what kind of exercise were you doing or not doing. That's not what I'm interested in. What I was interested in, you can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. So if you started gaining weight or you started losing weight or something was going on with your weight and your relationship with food, I wanted to know what was going on mentally, emotionally at that time. What was, you know, what was occurring for you, the human being, not the body. And Nicole was asking us to really look at ourselves from a similar perspective was instead of looking at the physical pain and for me what that was was the onset of diarrhea while I was in Africa instead of looking at that story look at the mental emotional component where was I when that actually happened when the IBS started and in a lot of ways that's the question that changed literally everything for me because when I stopped and just asked myself that question from an honest and truthful place, there were a couple things that came up to me that were very important. And now, years later, I think I've boiled it down to just two main points. But one is that when I went on Semester at Sea, there were two things that were happening. The first is that I was too preoccupied with food and eating and my weight and myself to have the same social life and the same social influence that I felt I always had. And I was no longer the life of the party. I wasn't the center of attention. I wasn't happy all the time. I wasn't friends with everyone. I wasn't that persona that I grew up being, the loud kind of class clown that was always a good time. I wasn't that person anymore because I was now really preoccupied with maintaining my weight. I didn't have a scale, I didn't have a gym. I was anxious all of the time. And what I was used to was being everyone's best friend and being really fun for everyone around me, being really happy for everyone around me and being that kind of source of joy. But now I was too stuck inside my own head to be making anyone laugh. And so the first important thing that was happening there was that I was watching, I was observing the way that my interaction with the world around me and my external environment was changing so, um, so clearly, just so clearly, because I was so preoccupied with my own mental emotional challenges. I was now awake to my own anxiety and my own issues that I wasn't being everything for everyone else. And that was a bit of an identity crisis because I, it was the only way that I knew how to be in the world. And so that was number one. And number two, the other really important thing that was happening at the time was that I was seeing the world outside my own head. So on one hand, I felt very stuck in my own struggle and my own strife at the time. But in a very real way, I was also being exposed to the world that I lived in. I went to Asia, I went to Africa, I was in India. I saw death, I saw poverty, I saw illness and separation and heartbreak and struggle all over the world. And I thought back when Nicole was asking us to just just consider what was going on with you, the messy, complicated, multidimensional human being at the beginning of your chronic pain symptoms. 
And I thought back to when I was in Ghana and when I was sick on the ship. And I remembered that there was a day I didn't even leave the ship because I just felt so depressed and defeated by the world because I was seeing the way that there, there was just truth everywhere I looked, that there was pain everywhere around the world. There was beauty, of course, as well. But what was occurring to me, consciously and not, was that I did not have the control I thought I had in both of those ways, point number one and point number two, what was occurring to me, not consciously, was that I did not have the control I thought I had. And what I mean by that is that for the first 18 or so years of my life, the way that I controlled my experience, my emotional experience as a human being, was by eating and by using food to cope and by gaining weight to feel a sense of safety and protection. And then after I was doing that, the way that I controlled my human experience was by dieting and weight loss and counting and portioning and tracking and weighing. That was my mechanism of control. And that when I went on semester at sea, not only was I not eating my feelings anymore and I was not dieting and starving anymore but I also was witnessing the way that, so I not only didn't have all this control over my body anymore, but I also didn't have control over the world socially. I didn't have control over the way that if I had to take care of myself, I couldn't be everything for everyone else. I couldn't control that. And I also couldn't control the pain and loss and heartbreak and injustice all over the world, all over the planet. And I really, really didn't know how to process that. I had always lived with this framework, this understanding that if I just worked hard enough and I just tried hard enough and I applied myself enough, I could make anything happen. And that's the way that I did my weight loss. But now looking at my IBS and looking at the onset of that, it was really, it was shaking the fundamental way that I saw the world. And at that point, I had to really admit I couldn't control everything. I could try. I could try to project that anxiety onto food and eating. I could try and project that anxiety onto being everyone's best friend and being loved and liked by everyone. But at the end of the day, what I was dealing with was a lack of control about the human experience. And so when I looked at my onset of IBS from that place, everything started making a lot of sense. And so I, I explored, I started exploring Nicole and Nicole's work the same way that I had explored John and John's work. I read her book. I started doing her online course. I finished it. And by the time I went through it, I fully understood that all of this was exactly the same work. Everything that I had already knew to be true and had experienced around food and eating and my weight and my body, I was now experiencing on an even deeper level with this work around chronic pain and my IBS. So at that point, I felt like I was really understanding this work on a cognitive level. I was getting it. I was getting the science. I was getting how one thing connected to the other. But when I sat down to do Nicole's online course, which is really designed to help you learn how to heal yourself from chronic pain, one of the first lessons was about drawing the pain. And so I'm saying this because I was in a place where cognitively and intellectually, I understood. It all made sense scientifically. But when it came to actually feeling my way through it and knowing this from a, from a body place, from an intuitive place, not just a left brain kind of data and analytical understanding of it, I was still skeptical. I was still defensive. I was still resistant to it. And so when I was asked to color my pain for part of this online course, I at the time was like, 
are you kidding me? Like, I have to, like, really? I have to, like, get out the pencils and the colored pencils and the markers. Like, seriously, I didn't sign up for that. Just tell me how to heal myself, you know? Like, I was still so, like, just give me the answers. Very much like we are with food and eating and the diet industry. It's like, just tell me what to do. Just give me the answers. Give me the easy way out. I want a magic pill. And so I was still kind of in that place. Um... But I also share this story because it was one of the most profound aha moments I have ever had in my life and healing journey. That is, I, what I remember about that experience of drawing my pain was that I sat down and I thought to myself, I don't know the first thing about how to do this. I don't know how to draw my pain. And no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it wrong. But what I knew, there was a sense of certainty around, I know that I need red, orange, and yellow. Because my IBS feels like a fire. It feels like a fiery pit of flames in my stomach. And that's what I know I can draw. And that's what I did. And by the end of the experience where I had finished drawing, I don't remember how much time it took or if I used the time that I was supposed to use, but I remember just kind of pausing and looking and seeing at what I had created Because as soon as I switched from participating in the drawing to observing the drawing, I saw so clearly that what I was looking at was a red flag. Just intuitively, I knew that what I was looking at was a red flag and that my body was communicating to me. It was raising a red flag and it was saying, please pay attention. Please pay attention to this. Please pay attention to me. These symptoms are trying to get your attention. These symptoms of IBS, the fiery pit of flames in your stomach, this is a red flag. And if what you want is to heal and what you want is to feel better, you need to pay attention and you need to see it that way. You need to see this as a red flag. You need to see that this is the solution, not the problem. You need to see that this is just bringing you closer and closer to something. This is the thread you need to follow. This is not a problem you need to solve. And after that, it became really clear to me what was going on here. And that not only was Nicole's true from a scientific neurobiological place, not only was it true that I believed we couldn't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution, but now it was coming from my body. It was coming from my own internal intuitive wisdom that was, I'm looking at a red flag and now I'm really getting it from the inside out not just from the outside in. And after making my way through the rest of the online course and starting to really implement Nicole's journaling exercise and Nicole's work into my life on a daily basis, I was watching, again, very similarly to the way that after I had explored the Gabriel method and used myself as the experiment, my weight was stabilizing, I was experiencing basically the same thing with using Nicole's work and my IBS symptoms. It was to my own shock and awe that my IBS was really clearing up and I wasn't struggling with the pain and the discomfort that I had for the years before that. And so I made my way again through that year. I was I had read Nicole's book. I was doing her work and still exploring on a deeper level things like meditation, breathing exercises, yoga, mindfulness, things like that. But I really came to a point of healing and and not just healing, but also understanding the ins and outs of why and how what doesn't work doesn't work and why and how what does work does work. And so What I want to do is not just continue to tell you parts of my own personal story, but really use my own personal story again to help you figure out how you can come out of the cave in whatever way that means for you, whether that is finding peace, freedom, and healing in the relationship you have with food, eating, your weight, and your body, or it's understanding how you can heal from things like chronic pain and physical symptoms like that, or it's just general anxiety of being a human being, or it's struggling with compulsions and addictions in other substances and areas of behavior and things like that. 
But the point here, ultimately, is that through my experience of gaining weight and losing weight and then struggling with IBS and then healing my IBS, doing all of this from a holistic mind-body-soul approach, I know a lot about, again, why we get here wherever it is we are, however we're struggling, and also how we can get out. Because ultimately, the human body is a system of energy. And when we learn how to balance our system, and we learn how to holistically and sustainably and in a healthy way get where we want to go, all of this really makes sense. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for this podcast is to be a resource that helps you make sense of where you are, the struggle that you're in, and how to get yourself where you want to be. So if right now you are someone that is struggling with any kind of chronic pain, remember what Nicole says, that is, the pain is not in your head, but the solution is not in your body. And if you are struggling with your relationship with food and eating and your body and your weight, Remember that you can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution and that all of this work, this podcast moving forward is going to be your resource for understanding how to connect your mind to your body and move forward in a holistically healthy and sustainable way, no matter what it is that you're struggling with. This is about coming back to yourself and coming back in one piece. And I got you there. If you are interested in finding and following Nicole Sachs, which I highly recommend you do, whether or not you have chronic pain symptoms in your body, you can find her at her podcast, which is The Cure for Chronic Pain. Her website is thecureforchronicpain.com, and find her on Instagram at Nicole Sachs LCSW, where she does a lot of great free content and resources. Um, if you do explore her podcast, I, Lisa Schlossberg, am episodes number 32, number 82, and number 126 on the cure for chronic pain with Nicole Sachs. And if you're looking for more of me, find me on Instagram at lisa.schlossberg, on Facebook, Lisa Schlossberg, on YouTube, Lisa Schlossberg. Just check me out. You can Google Lisa Schlossberg at this point. (laughs) Um, But also having said that, if you do have any questions or you do want to reach out to me directly, please, please feel free to email me at lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. And I would love to be in touch. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned because there is so much coming your way. I love you so much and let's get out of the cave.